Alexa. I'm your host, Alexa. And this week we have Lisa Zeldis, who is also a fellow chronic pain warrior, and she loves to help and work with the homeless. She's also a co-owner of Levin's, and I'm excited to have her in studio, and we're cousins. (laughs) Hi, Lisa. Hi, Alexa. How are you? Good, but before we start, I just want to say truly, how are you? Because you're so special, and I want to know, is this a better day? I think it's a normal day. It's a normal day. Okay. Yeah, not okay. like a bad one, just normal. Good, good. <laughs> I would say ditto. Good. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and I'm like really excited. We talk all the time, but like I was excited when you wanted to come on the podcast, and because I love a lot of what you do, and love Levin's also. <laughs> um, if you want to maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and your maybe some of your chronic pain story. Interestingly enough, and I explained to Alexa before we started that you may hear pauses because I never want to prepare when I do any kind of speaking. I find that it's more honest and from the heart if there is no preparation. So forgive me if there is a pause here and there. Um, This is going to sound overly dramatic, but my pain started at birth. Um, I actually was RH negative and they did not have the facilitation at that hospital to do a full blood transfusion. So the very first experience of my life was being put in an ambulance and they turned on the siren. And um, as a result, this is one of my teeny, weeny, weeny little problems. <laughs> I cannot tolerate really loud noises like July 4th is a nightmare for me. Oy, yeah. yeah, yeah. But that's, that's really nothing. Um, my biggest issues with chronic pain, uh, my youngest one, I would have to say was when I was dancing. I was a dance major at the University of Michigan and all of a sudden I started really having some back issues and I seeked chiropractic help because I've always been a believer, still am. Um, And it got so intense even with the help that I opted to rather than drop out of the dance department, we had really intense requirements academically. So I decided, okay, what I'm gonna do is concentrate on those academics while I heal. And it ended up working out really beautifully. Um, Believe it or not, when you're in the dance department, it's it's part of the School of Music, so you have to take music classes, even if you don't play an instrument. That's cool. You have to take (laughs) all of the pre-med courses And those were not the hardest. The hardest course I had to take was art history. It was the only time in my life I got a C. Art history at U of M, just for the people out there who are thinking about going, absolutely take it. Just have low expectations of your grade (laughs) because it was incredible. Anyway, so that that was the beginning of the back issues. Um, Then that subsided. I danced, I had 
children. Um, one of the next things that happened to me was with the birth of my second son, and I'm always reluctant to tell this story for people who are still planning on having children. This was a total fluke, so don't let it frighten you. But I was three days overdue with my second son, and I was blinded and paralyzed, and I was in the car driving, and I was able to make it onto my driveway before I totally lost my vision and I was paralyzed on one side of my body so I had to do everything with this left side which I'm not used to using and when I got to the hospital after my husband did 90 miles an hour in the middle of the day to Sinai Hospital um, they had the specialist from every you know, the head of every department lined up single file because that year at Sinai Hospital, they had lost two women to brain aneurysms giving birth. They, all they could really figure out is that I had had a stroke um, and I've had two since. Uh, and one of the things I struggle with currently, and I don't think I'd call it pain, <laughs> I would call it something that makes you want to jump out of your freaking skin, is I um, have seizures in my throat from the stroke. So I'm constantly clearing, and that may be another reason why you hear pauses, is I have to stop to clear frequently. Um, it's involuntary. And I was told that even if I went to a neurologist, there's really nothing they can do. And it's it, sometimes I'm gasping for air, it gets so bad. So the, ch the childbirth happened um, a couple years after he was born. I had four impacted wisdom teeth pulled and I ended up getting horrendous TMJ. It's something I would not wish on my worst enemy. And over time, um, the combination of everything I did physically, I, I was just a crazy athlete. Once my kids were born, I got very involved in martial arts. And it was in some ways more intense than being a dance major. And all of a sudden I started having back problems again. Um, the same time I started having a foot problem. So the first thing I did is I went to the podiatrist and he was a friend and he came back after the x-ray and he was white as a sheet. He said, Lisa, you have the foot of like a 97 year old person. You have no cartilage left and we're gonna have to do surgery right away. So uh, the mouth surgery, the foot surgery, and I battled for I would say 25 years not to have spinal surgery and now that I've had it if I were to do it all over again I would have done it much sooner however if I would have done it sooner I might have not found the guru of surgeons yeah and when I finally found him he was the first person who was able to tell me that I was born with a situation in my spine that it was a miracle that I danced my whole childhood, did gymnastics all through high school, was a dance major, and then it was all martial arts. I had such severe narrowing, such severe stenosis. And unfortunately, when you have stenosis, it's not just in one place. 
So when they did an MRI of my total spine, they said your neck is much worse, but your back is what's presenting. And so that's what we're going to deal with. So a shout out to Richard Easton at Troy Beaumont. If anybody ever needs any spinal surgery, trust me, he's the man. Um, and he's a wonderful human being. Uh, the surgery helped tremendously, but I do want to talk about that time when nobody could see what hurt. And when you're such a can-do person and all of a sudden you're a can't-do-crap person. Yep. And my husband actually asked the surgeon, he said, Dr. Easton, why after fighting her way out of a wheelchair is she sitting here talking about surgery? And he said, because, and he took his hands and he, first he made his arms into a big circle. And then he said, because he took, she took her life and she made it smaller and smaller and smaller and then he had to go to his hands because his arms were too big and smaller and smaller until her life fit the size of her spinal column. And he turned to me and he said, Lisa, what can you do? And I said, absolutely nothing at this point. And then my husband truly got it. You know, he watched me in pain for all those months and he finally truly, truly got it. And it was actually the first time I ever shed a tear in a doctor's office because I realized how much the surgeon truly got it. Yeah. Um, so that, that was an incredible experience. But certain things that stand out, um, going to my younger son's USC orientation in a wheelchair, people can see a wheelchair so they are unbelievably kind to you. But a lot of the things that happened prior to being in a wheelchair, including, unfortunately, my own husband, because they're not living the pain, Alexa. Right. And if anybody gets it, you, you get it. So it's that aloneness. You can be surrounded by the most loving family, the people who care about you the most, people like your own mother who would trade places because she doesn't want you to suffer yeah. with that pain. And she actually does have some of it from her knee replacement. So. Yes, I know. So now she gets it. And my dad too, from his yeah, neck. Yeah, from so, his neck. He so just like had surgery. <laughs> yes, yes. So it's, um, and having to rely on other people. You know, when you're so independent mm -hmm. and I was borderline um, an adventurer I would <laughs> say so I went from that extreme to being a caged animal basically and um, another time that stands out for me is we had a place up north and I had promised my extended family that on a certain date we were all going up there and the way I got up there was lying curled up in fetal position in the back of our SUV. I couldn't even be on a seat. I had to be in the very back back where you would put luggage. 
so that I could truly curl up and be supported in a fetal position. And when we got there, I laid on the couch and I was so thrilled that everybody was having such a good time. Yeah. Because I had become used to not being part of the good time. Yeah. Um, so I guess what saved me was searching out something that I could physically be capable of doing that would save me mentally and that was going downtown and working with the homeless and looking into the eyes of people who struggle more than myself it saved me. It saved me in so many ways, and I'm sorry if I get emotional, but um, you lose all judgment. And when you're in chronic pain, sometimes you are judged by people who love you. Mm -hmm. So losing judgment yourself is very freeing and very deep. Um, Talking to people who sleep on the pavement and don't know where their next, forget meal, don't know where their next iota of nutrition is going to come from. Um, what was so powerful and empowering is the common denominator with that population is lack of family. Because yeah. either they've screwed up so bad that family wants nothing to do with them, or they truly never really had support. Um, and what you and I have had <laughs> in our chronic issues is incredible support. So you yes. and I are so blessed that way. I always say how blessed I am. I'm always thanking everybody. Yes. Sometimes to the point they're like, can you stop thanking us already? But <laughs> I'm like, I just feel so grateful like sometimes I just don't know what else to do it's like because I'm still struggling every day and it's like I want to help other people as well to give back since I can't necessarily give all that time back that my family is supporting me yeah I want to give back in other ways absolutely and that's another thing I want to talk about is how important this is what you're doing that you're giving a voice to people like myself who, you know, the first thing we want to do is we want to crawl back inside of ourselves. We want to retreat. And I guess my advice would be reach out to other people mm -hmm. who are suffering because it's like any other support group. You realize you're not alone on this ship in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. And even if those waves are going to continue to come crashing in, somebody's on that ship with you. Like, there's more people, I think, that are suffering in some way or other, whether it's mental health or pain or just anything invisible that you wouldn't even realize. Like, even since doing all of this, 
I've realized so many people that just feel like they don't have a voice and then they're afraid. And it's like, I don't want that for someone because you're just as important as everybody else. Yes. And so is your voice. And they have so much fear already of facing the next day, mm -hmm. the next hour, the next minute, if they're in the kind of pain that I've seen and the kind of pain that, oh my God, that you've seen, that couple that fear with being afraid to reach out. Yeah. It's, it's overwhelming. Um, so, yeah, so coming face to face and building relationships with people on the street was not only for chronic pain, for everything that happens in my life, it was um, life altering. You look at everything differently. Sitting in the van, going downtown was very painful. Um, when we get there, we are in Heart Plaza for 45 minutes because that's sort of our birdhouse where everybody knows that we're going to be there and the reason we get out of the van and stay for almost an hour is conversations very important for them. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that we forget knowing their name, we know what they want to talk about, who's into art, who's into sports, who wants to read us their poetry, um, it's all over the map. There's a tremendous amount of mental illness, especially once they closed so many of the facilities. And they have their own kinds of needs, and we fill those needs too. Often, it's something as simple as they'll ask for random ass stuff. <laughs> Like, you know, and we'll bring it. And they'll be so shocked that we brought it. Um, but it's, we become their family. Mm -hmm. And they become ours. Yeah. And the day before surge, going in for spinal surgery, it was February and it was about 20 below with a pretty strong wind. And I had to say goodbye because I knew that I was in for a long haul of healing before I could get back in that van. Um, and I wanted to read them a poem. So they helped me up onto a bench so that I could be up above them. And I read them this beautiful poem from a book called Reflections from the Heart that happens to be written, all of this poetry, by Larry Gudath, who now runs, he's a chaplain, and he now runs Mariners, which takes in homeless men, a hundred homeless men. So I think that this poem, which is super short and sweet, it not only speaks perfectly to the homeless, but I think it really speaks to people who are suffering with chronic pain. It's called My Wish. I wish you warmth and shelter from the winter's storm and moonbeams to brighten even your darkest nights. I wish for you courage when the world is afraid. I wish for your life more of the gold and less of the tarnish, more of the light and less of the shadows. I wish for you and I hope you know that here is a heart and home who loves you more than any wish could possibly give. 
and they are so incredible, the homeless, friends and family. They always pray for us. Um, they always tell us on a daily basis, you are in our prayers. They will do anything to defend or keep us safe. Because there have been a couple of situations um, where we have felt less than safe. And they have been there for us. Uh, I'll never forget the first day I came back because I'm known for my hugs. And they all wanted a hug, but they were all so gentle because they knew I was still <laughs> healing. <laughs> and I had to lay in the back seat of the van to get down there. But it was so worth it. I, I would say to anybody out there, if you ever want to come and take the ride with us, the name of our organization is Heart to Heart Detroit. And you can find us at h2hd.org. That is my shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> it's a well-deserved plug. <laughs> and I would love for you to come, Alexa. I, think I was going to ask. Be, yeah, I think it would be absolutely amazing. We would go together, and we could hold hands in the back seat of the van. And you would meet amazing people and some of my best friends. It's an incredible experience. Yeah, no, it sounds incredible because you just like realize like how special life is. Yes, I mean on those winter nights when I'm climbing into my bed and I hear that wind howling outside, I think, what makes me so special? Why am I crawling into a warm bed and they're on the pavement? And initially another reason I went down is I was so curious to hear their stories. My sister's a very famous storyteller, so I'm very linked into stories, and my son's a filmmaker, and it's all about stories in our family. So the stories are what blow your mind and what make you realize that we're all one large event or a series of events away from being homeless ourselves. Mm -hmm. And if we don't help each other, who the hell's going to do it? Right. So it, it just changes the way you look at the world. Nothing that's on my body as I'm sitting across from you costs more than $5 because I just will not spend money on stuff anymore <laughs> after witnessing that. If I'm going to give $5, I want to give $5 toward bus passes so that they can sit on a bus and be warm for a couple of hours in the winter because that is one of the ways that they stay warm. Unfortunately, our shelters are scarier than the streets. They're filled with bed bugs, and there's rape, and there's thievery, and there's abductions. So um, they often tell us, I feel safer on the street. It's just so heartbreaking, because like, I couldn't even imagine being cold, like, especially ever since I, no, but even since I got in pain, like, a little bit little bit of chill my goosebumps I literally want to just cut my skin off like oh, it hurts so goodness. bad so like the, the point like it could even be 60 degree weather and I'm cold one day and it like hurts so like I just couldn't 
imagine having yes. to like do that every day, all day. And the really hot days when we're down there and you see the clear signs of dehydration. I mean, that's mm -hmm. why we go down with so much water in the summer and a ton of hot hands in the winter so that they don't lose their digits. They put the hot hands in their gloves and boots. Yeah. yeah. But um, I see we're getting close here. Yep. <laughs> and I... I just think you are so incredible for what you're doing between this, the blog and, and just reaching out to everybody. I have a quote here from Keanu Reeves, of all people, <laughs> and it might be a great way to end if you're ready to end. Yeah. Okay. This is the quote. If you have been brutally broken but still have the courage to be gentle to other living, living beings, then you're a badass with the heart of an angel. And you, Alexa, you are a badass with the heart of an angel. Thank you, and thank you so much for coming on this week. I, this is probably one of my favorites. <laughs> oh my goodness. Not that I haven't loved every story. I just love listening to people's stories and, and how we all like, relate in different ways. Yes. Um, and if you want to hear more about um, her organi the organization or just her stories, um, there'll be information down below in the description. And this has been another week of With Love, Alexa. I love you, Alexa. <laughs>